for those of you who were alive during the last century, I want to take you for a little walk down Christmas memory lane. I found a list of the most popular Christmas toys for kids or Christmas presents for kids in the, last, in the 1900s by, listed by decade. So these were the most popular in each decade. In the 1910s, it was a rocking horse, fireworks, and nuts. Uh, so if you were... If you're around in, say, the 60s, 70s, and older people were missing fingers, they were probably the ones that were kids back there in the 1910s, getting all those fireworks. In the 20s, uh, radio flyer wagon, the joy buzzer. You remember joy buzzer? You put the little thing on your finger, and it's got a little button, and you shake hands, and it vibrates, and it's supposed to make people think they're getting shocked. Some of you are too young to know. And a yo-yo. That was big in the 20s. The 30s, lots of kids got their eyes shot out because the Red Ryder BB gun was big. The sock monkey and army men, big on shooting things. And the 40s, it was Legos, the Magic 8 Ball. You all remember the Magic 8 Ball? And the Slinky. In the 50s, it was the Barbie, the Fisher Price Little People, those little peg things that went in little cars. And, uh, and Mr. Potato Head was in the 50s. In the 60s, it was Etch-A-Sketch, G.I. Joe, and the Easy Bake Oven. How many of y'all all had an Easy Bake Oven? Yeah, my sisters all had those, and it took you an hour to bake a little tiny nothing. In the 70s, Rubik's Cube, Nerf Ball, and Star Wars figures. A lot of frustrated kids in the 70s with those Rubik's Cubes. In the 80s, Cabbage Patch Kids, Teddy Ruxpin, and Transformers. Y'all remember the commercial for the Teddy Ruxpin bear? One of the worst commercials I've ever seen in my life. So the little kid gets on the bus, and, and he sits in the back seat of the bus, and no kid will talk to him, no kid around him. And he pulls out his Teddy Ruxpin and pushes it, and it starts talking, and all of a sudden he has friends. It's, if you want friends, buy Teddy. In the 1990s, it was Tickle Me Elmo, Super Soaker, and Furby. Those were the big ones in the 1900s. Uh, so I looked around for most popular gifts for adults um, in the past. Couldn't really find any lists of that. Uh, partially because when you go online and look for it, you get a thousand sites telling you what to buy now when you put in popular gifts. But I did find a Gallup poll question that was asked in 1954. If you could have your choice, what one present would you most like to have for Christmas? So in 1954, women's answer was an appliance, like a refrigerator, a sewing machine, blender, kitchen appliances. That was the big answer. For men, the number one choice was a new car. So they were going big. Uh, and they say that's probably because of the fact that, you know, this is the decade following World War II, and those things were in short despite supply not that long before then. Uh, but they, Gallup asked the same question during World War II, back in 1944, and the response then was an end to the war and the return of loved ones who are away fighting in it. It's funny how all those other things kind of fade away when you're in the face of real conflict, right? For those who had loved ones who were facing war or were facing the threat of death, uh, suddenly, who cares what we get? We want our loved ones back. That's the only thing that matters. I think today in a lot of parts of the world, you would hear that same answer, right? If you ask people in Syria, Ukraine, Yemen, uh, Congo, some places around the world, you would probably get the same answer. 
We just want peace. We just want an end to war. We want to feel safe. We want to know that our loved ones are safe. You know, I honestly think if we really understood what peace was, if we really understood peace as it's spoken about in Scripture, I think all of us would say, ah, there is no gift we could imagine that would be better, better than peace. Real, full, complete peace. That's what we want. We want to know an end to all conflict. But even more than that, I think peace is about something more than just wars, right? Just nations fighting each other. Luke 2, the word that's translated peace, it's a Greek word there, and it, it means what you'd think, the absence of conflict. But it also means, um, you know, kind of an inner calm. It's, it's absence of outward conflict, but also an absence of conflict within. That's what peace is. Biblical image of peace, you know, it's the wolf and the lamb lying down together. It's the child being able to play with a cobra. Imagine that kind of peace. Uh, Walter Wolderstorff, who's a Yale theologian, he said that the Old Testament word for peace, shalom, would probably be better translated instead of with the word peace by the word flourishing. Because he said it isn't an absence of conflict, but it's much more than that. It's things being set right. It's things being as they should be. It's not just the absence of conflict and the tension that comes with it, but it's also the presence of love and connection and relationship. It's flourishing. It's life as it's meant to be. That's what real peace is about. So I think all of us, if someone came along and said, I can wrap up peace and send it your way, we really thought about it, man, there's no better gift. And that's pretty much what those angels proclaim on that night of Christ's birth. They proclaim that peace has come on earth. That is what has happened this night. What an incredible proclamation. Peace has come. Now, you all know the story well. It was the night of Christ's birth, and close by, there were these shepherds watching over their sheep in the fields. And, and God seeing, sends a single messenger, one angel, uh, to come to them and make this announcement of what was happening nearby. And we're told this one angel came and and as this angel comes, the glory of the Lord shone around them. And I think, I think even the way God sent this message tells us a little something about God. That God knew that this was going to be a, a shocking and terrifying moment for, for these shepherds to have suddenly their, their night be disrupted by this angel and by the glory of the Lord shining around them. It's kind of like, you know, that little uh, wall or veil between the heavenly and the earthly it's kind of split open for a moment as this angel comes through to announce, and the glory of the Lord just fills that space. And it says they were terrified. They were simply terrified when that happened. Um, and I think it was kind of God's kindness and his gentleness and his care on display and the fact he sent the one angel first, the one angel to make the announcement, to tell him it's okay, and to tell him that the announcement that he's bringing is, a, is an announcement of good news, announcement of great joy no need to be worried here and the glory again shown around them it's hard to define glory right anybody explain what glory is it's kind of like trying to define the word beauty you know you can point to a lot of things and say they're beautiful but how do you define it what actually is beauty well, i think glory is the same thing this thing glory is shown it was there you know i think of the story in exodus 34 where moses comes down from mount sinai and told that his his face was radiant because he had spoken with God. And, and it terrified people again. The people who saw him coming down from the mount were terrified. 
there's something about being in the presence of God or being with God that even his, his glory almost seems to rub off. They seem to reflect it in some way. And again, terrifying. And so God sends this one angel to let him know it's okay. And here's the, the announcement that that angel makes. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the only passage in the New Testament where those three Christological terms come together in one passage. The Savior, the Christ, the Lord. Makes this announcement, this incredible announcement. This is who is born today, who has come unto you. The Savior, the one who's going to rescue you. The one who's going to rescue you from the, the most horrible thing that has ever happened. That we have been separated from God because of our sins. That there is this hatred for sin that is between us and God. And he has come to save us from our sins and the consequence of our sins. That he is the Christ, the one that all our hopes and our dreams, they come. Everything you have hoped for, the one you have hoped for, he is here. That he's our Lord. He's the ruler who brings justice and goodness and power. Safety has come. The world as you long it to be, the source of that is now here. It's coming this one, and he says this one who's come, you'll find him wrapped in swaddling cloths and rags, lying in a manger, lying in an animal trough. And we, we know that story well. We've heard it so many times, right? Uh, and then we're told, so once that announcement's been made, they've kind of settled down, they've heard that incredible news, the one they've longed for is here, but he's here is this little baby wrapped in cloths in an animal trough. Then, and my picture is, so, so again, I'm picturing this little like tear between heaven and earth. One angel's kind of come through, make an announcement. And the other angels are all hanging around the corner. Like, I want to be a part of this. I just, I want to come out. I want to say something. I want to be in it, right? Greatest announcement ever. And suddenly they get to come in. And so we're told a host of angels suddenly break through. And there's a host of angels there before them. Been prepared by the one, now there's this whole choir or army or however you want to think about it of angels before them. And again, I just picture they couldn't wait to make the announcement, right? Couldn't wait to be a part of this glorious moment. So the angels come out. And imagine what it's like to be one of those angels. We always think about what it's like to be the shepherds. But imagine what it's like to be one of those angels. One of those angels who have existed since their beginning in the presence of God with all of his glory in full display. Imagine what it's like for them suddenly now to, to come and make this announcement and be a part of this moment where God, the one they know in all his glory on full display, is that baby wrapped in rags in a little manger. Imagine what that's like to be a part of that. Um, remarkable thing. There's a sense in, in their words even, you get this sense of just awe, the magnificence of who God is. But I don't think it was like they're going, oh, little baby, what happened? I think instead this announcement is one that says, how remarkable. This, the God we know, the God we have seen in all his glory, this God is making himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This one we know, he is now 
this little baby, and, and little babies are cute, right? I'm sure Jesus was a cute little baby. Who doesn't think babies are cute? You know, but even to use the word cute to talk about that God that they worship, that just sounds like, ugh. You don't talk about God as cute, right? But now he's a cute little baby, dependent upon his teenage mom for life, um, placed in the care of this young carpenter father. He's a baby in these humble circumstances. He's a baby... Um, very dependent, a baby who, again, took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And not, not just a baby, but a baby born into poor and difficult circumstances. Imagine what it's like to be one of those angels watching that moment, seeing the incredible love and sacrifice expressed in that moment that God has for mankind. How remarkable that must have been. And so you hear this outpouring of adoration from them in this moment. And they say, glory to God in the highest heaven. I think it's saying, this is, this is the greatest display of God's glory. Whatever this thing glory is, right? This is the greatest display of God's glory, even in the highest heaven. This is incredible. Can't wait to just be in awe of this moment. And then it says, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Peace has come to earth and will spread everywhere that this child is received. Peace on earth. Now, announced before that this is good news for all men everywhere. You know, the birth of, of Christ. But now he says, but peace will come to all upon whom God's favor rests. And we know from Scripture, the one on, on whom God's favor rests are those who receive his son. So, peace has come. To all those who will receive this child. And I think in the core, that's the purpose of the incarnation. When you think about the purpose, the purpose is spoken in those words. It's to bring glory to God and it's to bring peace to men. That's why Christ has come. So peace. I want to give a little more thought to peace. So just a chapter earlier in Zechariah's prayer or song in Luke chapter 1, there Zechariah prophesies about his son, John the Baptist, will come and he'll prepare the way for the one who's coming from heaven, he says. Verse 76 to 79, he talks about it. He says, and he says, the one who comes from heaven to guide our feet into the path of peace. This one who's coming from heaven, central to his coming, is he's going to guide our feet into the path of peace. I, th- I think that peace that uh, Luke is talking about, that Zechariah is talking about, That peace is a peace, first and foremost, primarily peace with God. It's not just peace in the sense of war stopping and us getting along and even peace with the rest of creation. That's all part of peace, right? But first and foremost, at its very core, it's now peace with God. That 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 Stephen talked about when he was lighting the candle. That peace that that started from the fall. That this one is coming who's now going to truly bring peace. The kind of peace that Paul spoke about in Romans 5 where he said, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have peace through this one if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. All peace begins there. Uh, And then, if we trust Christ as our Lord and our Savior, 
He puts our feet on the path of peace. But I think it's about something bigger than just our relationship with God. It's being people of peace. It's joining into his peace, the peace that he wants to bring to all of his creation. Uh, peace within, peace with one another, peace with other nations, peace with creation even. But it all begins, it has its root in peace with God. A passage that I, I love and I kind of don't like, both are true, is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Uh, this person talks to a lot of people struggling with fears and hurts and anxieties. I struggle a little bit with the beginning of this passage. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious for anything. And I feel like it's just saying, because when I talk to people who are anxious I, about anything, I never feel like they're wanting to be, right? So if I just tell them, well, stop. Just stop it. It's usually not helpful. Uh, most people are going, and that's why I'm here. <laughs> tell me how to stop it. We don't want to be anxious. We don't want to be in the face of things that feel threatening and feel that that tension, that anxiety, that fear that comes with it. We, nobody wants that, right? He says, do not be anxious for anything. But he doesn't stop there. It is a command, but he doesn't stop there. He says, but in every, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know the four words that precede that passage? Four words right before that passage. The Lord is near. Those four words. They're, they're central to understanding it. Paul is saying, the Lord is near. He's right here. He is with us. Christ has come. He's here. The Lord is near. So when you feel anxious, when you feel afraid, when you feel threats that come with this life in this world, man, you're not alone. Reach out. Live, live in the nearness of Christ, in an awareness of the nearness of Christ. Reach out and ask. Remember, ask with thanksgiving. Remember his goodness towards you. Remember what he's done for us. Remember he's here. And ask. Make requests. Turn to him as a needy person who says, God, I need help. This is hard. Think of all the things that threaten our peace in our life. Obviously, our relationship with God, our sin, threatens our peace. But think of all the other things that threaten our peace in our daily lives. Uh, tomorrow, if some of you want to drive over to the mall, uh, spend some time over there. I went, to, I went to Lowe's yesterday to pick up something. That was a bad idea. Uh, I, I was hating all people by the time I got in the store. <laughs> think of some of the things that threaten your peace. Just go over to the mall. All of us fighting for the same little space, right? All of us wanting to get through those stupid lines and there are other people in front of me in the way. All those people waiting on me who just don't understand what I need, you know? All those things that threaten my peace. That, oh, the world would just work so better if people just would kind of move the way I want them to move, at the time I want them to move, and the pace I want them to move. But they don't. The world doesn't submit to me, right? We, we are all fighting for our own way, and it threatens our peace. For a lot of you this time of year, there are a lot of other things that threaten your peace that are bigger than that, right? For a lot, this is the time of year where loss sudden, suddenly feels huge, where loss is in our face. Because it's a time when many of those people that we love so much that we're used to being in this moment or a special part of this moment are not there. It, it threatens our peace. 
the absence of people we love and we care about and that we depend upon, it threatens our peace. For those that have people who, who they know are struggling because of loss of jobs or health issues or other things, and we want them to be no peace, their lack of peace threatens our peace, right? We, we so want peace. And Paul says here, when you feel anxious, when you feel in the face of those threats, my, my tendency is we've got to find a solution. We've got to solve those things. We've got to fix the circumstances, make everything better. And again, I don't think there's something wrong with doing some of that. But he says, when you're anxious, man, remember who's near. The Lord is near. And turn to him and ask. Look to him. How does, how does he affect that conflict, that tension, that struggle? What is, what is the fact that he is near, he is with you? How does it change it? How does his guidance help you step into that moment? How does his strength and support change you? He tells us that, that his peace is something that will just transcend our understanding. It doesn't tell us to take us out of the rough situation. He says that he'll guard our minds and our hearts, right? They need guarded because there's something that's honestly wrong. There's something that's honestly threatening. It doesn't say necessarily the threat gets taken away, not yet. But he does say he will step in in a way that beyond our understanding to help guard and to protect our hearts and our minds because he is with us. Even in those hard places and those difficult times, turn to him. Um, it's kind of like I was thinking of an example of this. I was thinking um, one time when I went deep sea fishing, believe it or not, there's a connection here, went deep sea fishing, first time I ever went with my dad and my brother-in-law's uh, and we went on this big boat that was like 50 paying customers on this thing going deep sea fishing. Uh, my one brother-in-law had been on it before, told us it takes about a half hour to get out to where we're going to fish, and we'll fish. It had been an hour of a roller coaster. I mean, it had been an hour of climbing waves and going down waves and climbing waves and going down, and we still were not close to where we were going to drop anchor and fish. Um, and they just kept telling us it was unusually bad seas. There were like 50 paying customers on that boat, and 50 paying customers were not doing well. Uh, it, was, it was like a horror show on that boat. Everywhere you turned, you couldn't get away from seasickness, very bad seasickness. I'll let your imaginations run. Um, and again, it's the first time I'd ever really been in that situation. Only boats I ever been on were little rowboats on lakes. And so I'm out in that situation, and, and um, one of the people working on the boat came over and said to me, he, I'm sure he saw the greenness in my face, and said to me, you just got to look to the horizon. You got to just keep your eyes on something steady out there. Find something steady to stare at. That'll help. And it did. It didn't make it stop, but it really did help. There was something about focusing on something outside myself, beyond myself, that honestly brought some of that stability back here, back to me. I think that's in some ways what Paul's talking about. Um, peace has come. And where do you look for peace? Where do you look when the peace is disrupted for the stability uh, that we need to guard our hearts and our minds? He says, look to the one who is peace. Look to him. Find him. Turn to him. Ask for help from him. That's where peace resides. Uh, he is near us. Live in that reality. Last thing I want to say about peace is it just stood out to me as I was thinking about this passage and about um, that first Christmas night. It stood out to me, God loves peace. He, he loves it. God is a God of peace. 
Now that sounds obvious again. Everything you say at Christmas sounds obvious. That sounds obvious. But think about it for a minute, how much God loves peace. The incarnation and the cross tell us how much God loves peace. The incredible extent he went to to bring peace to man. Boy, it says a lot about God's love for peace. He wants us to be peacemakers. He wants us to know peace. I hope we'll hold on to that in the times when it feels threatened. Remember Jesus' words to his disciples as he begins preparing them for his death and his departure in John 14? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He didn't want us to know peace to come. And there's a time that's coming that we know. Peace will not be fully realized till Christ comes again. We, we are longing for and waiting for that time. But he wants us to know peace now too. He, he left his spirit that we would know peace. He wants us to know peace right now. He wants us to be people who bring peace to others right now. That is a God who is, who is a God of peace. It's all through Scripture. He loves it. And it has come to us through Jesus Christ and that baby in that manger. So here's really all I want to leave you with today. I don't want to give you a go do something this week. You all got plenty to do this week, so I'm not going to give you a go do. Uh, other than, boy, just stop somewhere in this week, in this Christmas week, and reflect a little on the words of those angels. Just give a little bit of thought to them this week. Uh, if you're out sometime taking a walk, out away from things and some quiet, give some thought to those words. Glory to God in the highest. Peace to men on whom God's favor rests. Give some thought to those words. What do those words really mean to you? What does that announcement to us mean for us? How we will enter into our world? How will we live in the face of threat? Um, what does it mean to you? Maybe it's pulling away and sitting in front of one of those early morning coffee and fire moments, you know? Whatever they are for you, whatever is your place to pull out a little bit, take a few moments this week and the opportunity of Christmas and just reflect on those words and see if reflecting on those words doesn't bring you to the same place that brought those angels to just an expression of adoration to your God and, and put it to words. Say it out loud. Uh, to your God, what those words mean to you.